Hello, Mech Warriors, and welcome to the Mech Bay, where we fix your mech and fix your game. Hello, Mech Warriors. I'm your host, Josh, and today I've got with me my co-host, Dustin, and in the rumble seat tonight, I've got Denim. And we are back in the hot seats. It's time to talk classic Battletech again. We got a specific request to deep dive on some tactics we love to throw down at the table. So if you've ever wanted to upgrade your skills from 4-5 to 3-4, this is the episode to start that. But first, it's time for the hobby progress, hobby news, and some fan mail. To kick things off, let's roll it on over to Dustin and see what he's been up to lately. What's up? The fire has been lit for the sculpting of the battle mech claw driver again. It should be done soon. Can I can I get a release year on that one? Like like I'm I'm in the Sarna page right now. What year do I put for the claw driver? Yeah, like 2021 or 3021. Well, it's got a large pulse laser, so you're gonna have to wait until the health memory core is recovered. We're gonna have to wait a thousand years. Got a thousand it. years, roughly. Printing some little spaceships. That's pretty much it. Pretty late. Doing some Halloween decorating. I used my miniatures painting and weathering techniques to make the cheap little tombstones look less lame. Oh, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, so that's pretty much it this week and past week. Denim, what have you been up to lately? Well, uh, Steel Warriors released that urban expansion pack, so I've been looking at some of those buildings. I've got another really big one that that goes on the same base. Is that that giant one with the radar dishes on the top? Mm -hmm. But... I have really just been printing out about a hundred coins for this game called Red Dragon Inn. They have these little cardboard tokens for coins. And I'm like, I've got a printer. I can do better than this. So I've just been printing coins to use for that game and painting them gold. <laughs> Not really Battletech, but you know, you can't play Battletech all the time. That's why. I mean, I we could, but. I could. I, could. I did. <laughs> Our wives, family, friends, and employers would not like us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for my hobby progress, I did a little mega mecking. I finally, I know it's like... Is that a hobby? Yes. It's virtual <laughs> battle tech, but it was also like I was trying out custom mechs and I wanted to see, okay, do like tweaks and take it back in the garage, put it back in the simulator, like keep modifying yeah, to see yeah. what I liked. And that was like the perfect place to do that. So I learned how to do that. The problem was the whole time that I was not doing the right tech level when I was setting up the game. So I feel dumb. I've literally been trying that for like a year. Haven't been trying too hard, of course, for a year, but I, off, with that on user interface, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> it's great for what it is. It really is. And it's free. So yeah, yay. For free. I'll take what I can get, but it's, it's rough. It's rough sometimes. Honey, did I do any more Battletech stuff? <laughs> <laughs> we talked about our game we played, right? There was a whole episode on that. We didn't read any Battletech stuff. I, I did not read any Battletech stuff. Uh, we did have our... Book Club. Book Club. Dustin, talk to us about Book Club. Yeah, I didn't miss this one, which was great. I'm still pretty mad about missing the first Book Club. It was good. We had fun talking about the Battletech universe and the characters in the book, which is what you do in Book Club. Uh, the next book we're reading is Lethal Heritage. Yeah, Lethal Heritage, which is I had gotten about halfway, maybe three quarters of the way through it a while back, like maybe two or three years ago. Uh, so this will be good. I'll actually finish it this time and uh, catch us on the next book club meeting. Oh, uh, I'll be there for that one for sure. Yeah. Now, this is on the Discord, right? Yeah, this is on our Discord. Yeah, so catch us Saturday, October 30th at 4 p.m. Eastern time. 
And if you're not a member of the Discord, you can find the link to that in the notes and description of every episode. Come join us and talk about Battletech stuff. So that's pretty much all of our hobby progress um, for the last couple of weeks. So moving on to Battletech news, I think the biggest thing is we're finding out a little bit more about the Barnes & Noble exclusive Wolf's Dragoons mech pack. Yeah, it's like a star. You know, it's got some inner sphere, some clan. So it is, it's an Annihilator, a Rifleman, Mad Cat, Archer, and Blackjack. And the Blackjack is the BJ-4, I believe, with the four streak SRM-2s. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, is it modeled on there? Did you? Yes. Like, yep. Oh, interesting. And the Archer looks to be the two LRM-20 version. Yeah, but it, like I said, a different pose. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading the description. It only demarks the... Blackjack and the Archer is separate variants. So everything else is just hearsay and lookings from angles. Yeah, so it's uh, it's an exclusive. Yeah. So it's an exclusive to Barnes & Noble first until all of the Barnes & Noble orders have been fulfilled, and then it will be in your local friendly gaming stores after oh, that. Oh, will it? Yes. yes. Okay. This is like a Christmas thing, right? They're they're coming in. They're supposed to be stocked by November or something like that. I think it was December. December. Yeah, mine says December 13th. So, Yep, I was going to say 12th, but 13th sounds right. So what are your guys' thoughts on an exclusive, I don't know if I want to call this a Wave 2 or like a Wave 2.5 or just regular retail? Well, Barnes & Noble is the only non-gaming store that I know of that carries Battletech right now. Uh, yeah. so, you know, you can get, you can get the box sets there, but as far as like, like, is it good or not? I, I think it, I think it is because Barnes and Noble paid for everything for this, for the exclusivity. They, they paid for the, the models. Um, they paid for the, for the printing and, and that's money that Catalyst doesn't have to pay and it gets more product out there and they are a small company. So things like this can really help you know, help them out as a company. And if they're being helped out as a company, it's more battle tech for me later. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's good that, you know, a major distributor has enough interest in battle tech, which means, you know, conversely that battle tech is generating enough interest. You know, it's a, it's self-evident. It's good news. Good news for battle tech. And, and if it was only Barnes and Noble, so you could only get it there, that would be a little bit different, but, but since it is coming to, all the rest of the places afterwards, I don't, I don't really see a downside of this except for having to wait for those mechs. Yeah, we've all gotten pretty patient, so <laughs> I don't think it's a big deal. No, I don't. But some people out there are do take offense. Oh, really? I mean, this is oh, yeah. more palatable than the MechWarrior 5 Epic exclusive thing, which I think I'll, the people I've seen oh, that are a little boy. cautious about are... Uh, it was, yeah, but it's it was still once again... Anyways, we don't need to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, right, right now, they even have it on the PlayStation, and it's cross-compatible with, with the PC, Steam, or Epic, or Xbox. So It was the whole thing where they said it was going to be available on Steam, and then they reversed yeah. that. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Is, that was the bad taste, is that? Looking, we're going to talk about Macquarie 5 now for just a bit. Looking at it, you know... You you go through the tutorial and it talks about you know this is how you you take the the crates and you send them you know, flag them for for pickup and then you never heard any of that ever again until the expansion came out so it is very obvious to me that they ran out of money 
And this uh, whole Epic deal was them getting enough money to finish the game enough for release and then hope that it did well enough to get enough money to to put in all the stuff they meant to for the expansion. Mm, like the expansion was basically what they wanted the game to be on release, in my opinion. So I think that that whole deal was all about them just running out of money. No kidding. And I, mean, I have impossible. no, I have no inside information about that. That's all pure speculation and just knowing how businesses work like that. So yeah. that's my opinion. In hobby progress news, I purchased MechWarrior Five and Sweet. played that. What platform? Uh, PC. And honestly, for someone who was not as enjoying MechWare Online, this was kind of a nice, fresh update for that. So it's Rock'em Sock'em Robots. It's Rock'em Sock'em Robots, but it's, I think it's just because everything is so, I don't want to say bad, but like it's all stock loadouts with minimal adjustment. Like Mm -hmm. you can put a large laser where a PPC is, but you can't put, yes, you know, AC20s where machine guns are. Mm. So have you played a co-op yet? I have played co-op. That was it, quite fun. It's so good. I enjoy that a lot. But it is probably the most palatable single-player mech warrior experience that I thought they could make. And I'm happy. So it's mech bay approved. I'll put it that way. Uh, in other news, we have the latest latest release from Creative Juggernaut that's being teased right now. And that is precast bases for the Lunar and Badlands maps. And if you guys have not seen those, I do recommend checking those out on the Battletech International Facebook. What are you guys' thoughts and opinions on that? Well, like, okay, Lunar and Badlands. So do you think that they're um, tying these into like the the Alien Worlds map pack that they just released for Wave 2? Because that, that has a whole lunar side and it has, you know, three different Alien Badland type worlds. Do, do you think they're looking into that and and making some cool stuff that kind of ties in? Possibly. I mean, this could be like stocking stuffers that are just a quick, like not a whole mech. It's like $20 or something. And you get like a whole lance worth of things to add on. Just something to kind of keep the inventory moving. Like you don't want to do one mech every year. That's what they're doing <laughs> so far. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to know that they're working on other stuff that are not just the Black Knight and the Stormcrow. That, that's my biggest opinion. Yeah, it's like a sign of life. Or, or, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I I did hear that these need a little bit more cleanup than the mechs. Like the mechs were beautiful uh, when I got them. Uh, they did not. They needed minimal cleanup for sure. But but the images I saw of somebody painting up the lunar ones, it, it had a lot of uh, flash and stuff to to scrape so. off. That's okay for me. I'm a weirdo. I would personally prefer to get the mechs on sprue. <laughs> I'm not putting this in. I'm not putting that in. What? <laughs> <laughs> Hate mail is still mail. It counts. Yeah. You, really? Nobody else wants that? Am I the only one? <laughs> Metal's fine. I Plastic is... I don't mind that plastic. I don't mind plastic either, but I want to I want to cut it off the sprue and pose it and do it my way. But you know, oh man, with wave two, that's pretty much going to put my plastic mechs just over my metal mechs. The Tomorrow Rising source book isn't out yet, right? It was available at Gen Con if you were there, but other than that, not yet. Was not there. Yeah. So yeah, I 
I think I'm going to pass on the Ilkhan source book because my understanding is that it, you know, if you read Hour of the Wolf, I feel like I don't need a double dose. You don't want some wolf in your wolf? Yeah. P.S. The opening prologue to Lethal Heritage is a wolf putting a wolf into two wolves. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, One other fun thing that came out of Gen Con that we saw was Catalyst tried releasing their new Mega Mat, which was, I want to say, four mats in one. And that became, that was not meant to be an exclusive. And yeah, Mega Mat is like trademarked or something. Mega Mat is trademarked (laughs) by Chesex, if I remember correctly. And that will have to go back to the warehouse to get reprinted up for new naming and everything. So I have no idea when we will see that. The few people that got the mats at the convention, yeah, I mean, they look great. I, mean, I would love to play on like a full table. I'd like to have one. Yeah. Exactly. Everyone would like to have one. So that's something that we are all hoping to see in the future. And we have our hands. It'll come. Yeah. yeah. So you're telling me that, that Battletech is having some sort of a licensing issue with another company? I know. Yeah. I think that's why they just pulled it so fast. Like even if Chessex or whoever does not sell that item anymore, it's just that they don't want to fight for any names. Like they will go back and call it the Battletech Mega Mat, but just Matt. So Battletech Matt, Matt, Matt. <laughs> Matt, 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 Matt. Yeah, Matt. the format. The, the format. Quad Matt. The Quad Matt. The Quad. If it gets named any of those, I want my royalty rights. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's pretty much it from the Gen Con and the news for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've got two mails today. Two or three? We got three. So we've got three listener mails today. Evan Watts writes, I've been listening to the McBay for the last couple of months and I'm enjoying the show. One of the things I love about Battletech is that the core concept is fairly simple, but there are so many lenses with which to look at your tactics. None of which give you the complete picture, but learning a variety of them allows you to have a better grasp on how to handle a, handle a particular match and to recognize what your opponent is trying to do. If you guys get the chance to dig into tactics in more depth, I'd love it. Well, Evan, this is the episode just for you. <laughs> yes, thanks for the compliment, and we'd love to dig into the nitty-gritty of tactics a little bit more. Adam Murray says, hey, just started listening to your podcast and just wanted to say keep up the good work. Thanks, Adam. You keep listening. We'll keep delivering. And Tony the Rat says, I'm a listener from France and I love your podcast. I'm slowly inviting slash blackmailing my friends into playing Battletech with me. I've got two of them hooked already. What is a good way to make a scenario where lights have a role to play? I want my group to be able to use any type of mechs without thinking, oh, light mechs suck. Let's only take heavies. Thanks in advance. Love the show. Keep being awesome. All right. I have an answer for that. Go for it. Yeah, don't have a slow light. Like, if you've got a nice, fast light, that can be used in almost any scenario well, as long as you follow the tactics that, we, uh, that we'll put out later. But if it's a slow light, yeah, that's kind of useless. I mean, what would you call a slow light, first off? Like, 6.9 is pushing it to being too slow to be a light. Yep, so anything, anything faster than 6.9 is, is a very viable light. But... Uh, Somebody, Five, call, somebody called the Draconis Combine. I've got them on Suicide Watch for all the Oh, readers. I know. I know. I'm thinking about all the Panthers and everything. Yeah. The Looking Panthers at you. Just a, just a junior assault mech. I, I own like three urban mechs, but they suck. It's a yeah. garbage mech for the garbage can. But I'll still play them. Now. But you know me. <laughs> uh, yeah. So play with objectives um, that need to be taken quickly. Any kind of scenario that 
encourages reactivity. So you can have your objectives move around or disappear and reappear. That'll help. Uh, you can do an objective raid, have the mechs need to retrieve something and get back. And then if you're doing a narrative style scenario, you could always do a breakthrough, which will reward lighter mechs. And just get those lighter mechs behind any of the heavy mechs, heavy and assault mechs. Just even if you're not continuously firing, just get them back there to get them worried. And that will pay off big time. See, I hear what you guys are saying, but I like way too many light mechs, even the quote, the slow ones, the bad ones, the fat ones, like they're, they're all my favorites in my heart. So to me, a good way to make light mechs valuable is to not have the number of kills be the goal of the game. Like, if it's retrieval, if it's capture the flag, if it's hold this ground or like scout something, that's great. If you're not playing with, like I said, kill victory points and you're playing instead with like sea bills, like who yeah. can kill the most sea bills? Like a light mech is cheap because it's, well, less it's got mech. that little engine. Yeah. And the slower ones are going to be even cheaper. So, but they're not going to be able to retrieve that object because they're too slow. Yeah, if you play just about anything other than a BV balanced, you know, meat grinder, you're you're going to see the other mechs come into their prime faster and lighter mechs. Yeah. Just don't stop moving. One scenario that I kind of thought up and is like a capture the flag, but where the flag is not placed on the ground immediately, it's like an artillery strike and you have to roll to see the margin of failure and see how much it scatters. Ooh, and nice. yeah, so you have to have someone that's mobile that can react and that isn't that you don't want to put in the front line that you kind of want to hold back in reserve. So the engagement's already happening. So like turn three or four, that's when the objective gets revealed and you need someone to be able to go for it right then. Oh, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, probably the biggest thing is playing with the scouting rules where the enemy is hidden and you need fast light mechs that can recon the field is going to completely change the way you play. So not knowing where the enemy's assault mechs are, that... Spooky. You, yeah, you're not going to push your assault mechs to scout where their assault mechs are. You're going to use the lighter, cheaper, less hard-hitting, but probably not going to die in one volley because they've got a good modifier or can yeah. get to better terrain. If you set off a hidden unit that gets his his you know, like free shot, it ignores the the attackers, they're the target's uh, movement modifiers. So it doesn't matter how fast you're moving it's way easier for them to hit you. Yeah, for hidden for hidden units, that's that's how it works. I'm thinking more. Uh, what's the word? Uh, like true line of sight, can't see. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. If there's yeah, yeah. like a line of woods across, you don't know. Like you don't have like double blind stuff. Yeah, double blind. That that's the word I should have used. Love it. So I'd say for keeping light mechs valuable is don't value killing. You know, twenty five percent of mech value killing you know 50 percent of his sea bill or mech worth and use them for like light specific missions so think of ways that light mechs can be used they're normally faster than mediums and heavies they have less firepower but but they normally have like some weird advanced equipment to get kind of give them their special flavor like most of them have either an ecm or b galactic probe or a tag stuff like that can kind of incorporate into your scenario thoughts no, I mean like like the Jenner. It's 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 got the speed. It's got the firepower. You just if you slow down and don't run with it, it's going to get hit and die. But as long as you're going fast, it's 
it scares them. And if it gets behind anything, you know, what that's that's uh, twenty eight points of damage it can do. It's a lot. Yeah, I know you guys have probably heard me talking about the mongoose a lot, but that's just oh, because, I love the mongoose. Yeah, I mean, you face it every month, uh, Denim. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> yeah, Tuesdays will be the next time. Yeah. So that's just something that has a good modifier. So it's drawing fire away from my heavy hitters. And if it gets killed, I don't really care. But I'm almost always going to take a fast light mech to... But, but I can't ignore it. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. you, you know how good of a mongoose pilot I am. That's the problem. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think the, that wraps up hobby news, progress, and fan mail. Uh-huh. So let's take a quick break and hear a word from our lovely, lovely sponsors. Mech Warriors, we have a new weapon for your arsenal. When you're redlining your mech and eggs are frying on your HUD, don't forget your greatest enemy, dehydration. Here at the Charlie Company Cider Company, we offer a full complement of weapons to combat this nemesis, backed by Captain Eden's 65.3% satisfaction guarantee. Try our classic line of ciders, including Radiator Watermelon Sluice, Prison Cider Deluxe, and our number one selling Hot Dog Cider. This fall, we're introducing our newest creation, Pumpkin Spice Hot Dog Cider, only from Charlie Company Cider Company. Just remember, when you're thirsty, just look for the four C's. And remember to look for our new vending machine on Slayer 7 and Arena 71, Section 914, Level 4, next to the Mini MechWarrior Daycare Center. Warning. Charlie Company's Cider Company's products contain ingredients known to the Canopus Health Authority to cause birth defects, blindness, sterility, heart failure, and the urge to crush your enemies and see them driven before you. Mech Warriors, you have five weeks to go before the Southern Assault Battletech Alpha Strike Tournament. If my senses are right, then we will have more mech-on-mech action there than the entire Solaris 7 Shoots and Ladders Championship 3038. It's not too late to rearm and refit before your deployment, so stop on by Fortress Miniatures and Games to get your 350-point list locked and loaded. Are you itching for a taste of Wave 2? Ares Games and Miniatures is offering a pre-order on their shipment of Mad Pack Deserts and the new edition of Deck. If you're still wanting more and waiting on your dropship, pick up a copy of Shrapnel 6 and Rock in the Hard Place, or many more to keep your mind occupied in transit. Right, and we are back. Okay, MechWarrior, now that you've done your five drops, you're no longer the Greenhorn. It's time to go over those advanced tactics to keep you alive and keep you racking up kills. So let's go over our favorite tactics, strategies, what separates the vets from the dead. So to start off, let's talk about the first dice rolls of the game, the initiative phase. Well, I, I think, honestly, I think winning and losing initiative, this is the core of the game. Like everything is about the first thing you do is roll for initiative and there are definitely ways to make it okay when you've lost an initiative even though it feels like if you are constantly losing initiative you know the game is just going to crap because of it um when you win initiative it's all about positioning yourself for the best odds for you know for doing damage to the other team um you know, you get to see where they go. You get to react to it. That's when you get to go in for those, you know, those rear killing shots or, you know, um, go for the right or left flank to, to try and take off the arm with the AC-20. But when you lose, it, it's more about making it harder for them to hit you. Uh, not so much getting a great shot on them, but just increasing your movement modifiers so that the odds of them hitting you 
are, are just too difficult. Um, you know, that's when you do the, the jumping into, into the middle of the woods. So, you know, your two hit might be a nine up, but mm-hmm. theirs is a nine or a 10 as well. So the odds are they're probably not going to hit you. Yeah. Another thing that I like to do, um, thinking about winning and losing initiative is to, you know, be thinking about that ahead of time. Uh, one of the things I think I did less correctly when I started playing Battletech was I would plan my turns out, you know, the turn before, you know, I'm going to move this mech here and here and here, or if, you know, I'm going to react to my enemy's movement in this way and that way. Uh, but I would kind of lock myself into these movement patterns and, you know, the dice wouldn't go as I was expecting. And then all of a sudden I had kind of uh, cornered my mechs into these positions that were hard to get out of. So, um, you know, it's just as hard to get dug out of something as it is to get dug into it. So you know, positioning your mechs so that they can be flexible is pretty important to this too. Uh, I have to mostly agree with, you know, what Denim was talking about as far as how you move your mechs, whether you won or you lost, um, you're going to be more reactive if you lose the initiative. You're going to be more proactive if you win it. What do you think, Josh? I always have to keep in mind, am I in damage control mode or am I on the offense? Am I like hunting you down? So when I lose initiative, I'm only thinking about the last mechs that I have to move. Like right. Everything else I'm moving relatively normally. Like I already have a plan, take it there. To quote again, dictate the engagement. Like I, mm-hmm. I should know where I need to be to kind of hold what I need to do on the table. But that last mech is normally, for me, the closest one to the action. The one that's in knife fighting range and can take the, and see they're going to be hit harder or take more damage because of it. So losing, I always have to be in damage control mode. Know what are my like backup options. Like plan B, I didn't win initiative. I can't get around to the enemy's back. Do I just fall back completely and take a couple shots, you know, take some damage to get a better position next turn if I hopefully win initiative? Or do I press harder and try to risk more next turn when I win initiative, essentially? Yeah. And you were talking a little bit there about, you know, which mechs to move when. And that's a whole other thing of the initiative phase is how you sync your initiative. You know, what order are you going to move your units in? Um, and I think there's some pretty right and wrong answers there. And then we can get into the more nuanced parts uh, because you always move your immobile mech first. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds wrong. It sounds so wrong. It, it does. But technically, if a mech is not destroyed, it is a valid unit for you to move, even if it can't. Even if the pilot's unconscious, as long as his mech isn't destroyed, you can say, I'm moving him first. Mm-hmm. And you want to be thinking chess here too. Like it, it isn't necessarily that your heaviest mech is going to move last or that your lightest one is going to move first or vice versa. You just want to be setting up your initiative sinks in advance. So before you know whether or not you're going to win or lose the initiative, you know, have that in your head, your game plan for like, okay, these like this unit and, you know, maybe this one too, I'm definitely going to want to move those first. So I'm going to want to position them to where they can be, you know, more divis- more defensively positioned, if that makes sense. Uh, and then, yeah. yeah, like you were saying, the guys that are in knife fighting range or the, or the more damaged mechs, you know, maybe I'm saving um, something that's licking its wounds for later in the 
uh, movement, you know, game, the back and forth of the movement phase. Um, so it can be more reactive to what the opponent is doing. Yeah, I try not to put too much too much value into winning the initiative because it is under normal game circumstances, it's random. Like 50% of the time I'm going to get it, 50% I'm not. So, And just plan on losing it all the time. Exactly. So <laughs> a 50% chance is not great. <laughs> uh, we all know the trying to get a critical is less than that, and that doesn't come up enough. So... It, yeah, it is. It is one of those the the phase of the game that I think experience helps the most with. You know, once you've played ten, twenty, thirty games, and if you're thinking about, you know, the best places to, that you think you can go if you win or lose initiative, it it does get easier. Uh, you you won't make as many mistakes, and you won't feel as bad when you when you have a losing streak. Yeah. I feel like in Battletech, because we love our mechs so much and because we have so much access to how to make our mechs, you know, we can make our own chess pieces, but we're still playing chess on hexes. So I think one of my breakthroughs is when I started thinking about like, this is my king or this is my rook. You know, how am I going to position? Because in chess, it's all about positioning. You you can't, you know, change out your medium laser for... A medium pulse laser in chess. So think of Battletech in that way a little bit every now and then too. And I think, you know, it'll kind of unlock the next tier of, of the game, you know, of the strategy. Yeah. I will say just always, always plan that you're going to lose initiative and you will normally play a little bit more conservatively. You'll be thinking a little bit more ahead about where they can move. And if you're thinking in that train of thought you're probably going to be coming out ahead even if you win the initiative true now i have have you guys ever found yourself in a situation where you wanted to lose initiative in this game only when i'm trying to bait the opponent to come closer to me or set him up set him up for the next turn essentially just recently i found myself uh, it was it was one of the ones where it wasn't just a slugfest. It was a, a mission. It was an objective based mission, and somebody was trying to get off the map, and I lost the initiative, which meant that I got to go first, which meant that I was able to move one of my mechs into this little valley and totally block his escape off, where he would have been able to run off the map and win. But because I lost initiative, I was able to block him off because if you lo- if you win initiative, you can't decide if you go first or last. You just go last. And that blocked him off and I was able to take him out and win because I lost. Yeah, there are some edge cases definitely where you're like, <laughs> sweet, I lost the initiative. Now I get to screw over the other player. But that does not come up often. No, very infrequently. But for things like objectives or capture the flag, king of the hill, where you have you have to put a mech on something and it's between you and your opponent, the loser gets to go first. Yep. Well, so, with, with, with the King of the Hill, you know, you get to get there first, but that means that he gets to charge you. So that's true. That's yeah, true. There's that too. Yeah. But so there are at least using my fingers, at least three reasons why you <laughs> might want to lose initiative. So winning initiative isn't everything. Always plan to lose. And if you need to lose harder, <laughs> that's right. Lose better. That's the thing. <laughs> but uh, so let's move on to the initiative syncing. So we talked a little bit about how your immobile mech should always be what you sync first. 
after the immobile mech, I, I tend to go. I tend to go with the heavier ones because they can take more damage. And if someone tries to flank or get into the rear of my heavy one, then at least I've got my light to punish that one for it. Most of the time, not always, but but uh, but that's that's my general strategy. Yeah, I typically have some sort of an anchor mech on the field if I'm playing in a lance. Um, what do you mean by s- anchor? I think that was someone someone asked me recently what we meant by that. By oh, my anchor mech is that's a great question. What is my my anchor mech is the slowest mech, it's the heaviest mech, and it's got the most firepower. That doesn't necessarily mean that it is an assault mech, um, but it's typically an assault or a heavy mech, and it's it is anchoring the deployment of my entire force. So it is the tip of the spear. It is receiving the most punishment. It is ideally dishing out the most punishment. And I've got basically two guys for the flanks and one guy in the back shooting. Um, so when I talk about my anchor, that's that's what I mean. Um, and I, I say anchor because everybody else typically moves around it. So that is why my anchor is moving first, you know, unless something else is immobile because I'm planning my other movements around that mech. Does that make any sense? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. It's, it's like the nucleus of your Lance and, and everything is dependent on yeah, what happens to it or what it is doing. Right. And your anchor has a, my anchor has a bunch of armor, but it's not invincible. So I'm moving it first because like you said, Denim, if somebody, you know, I'm going to put my cheeky little light mech in behind your anchor. Well, I'm going to put my cheeky, you know, mediums that are my flankers slash, you know, fast response units uh, to punish that, that mech Um, or ignore it depending. But that's, uh, (laughs) you know, we can talk about that in the firing phase and choosing targets. So your anchor is your first one you will put before your if if you don't have any mobile mix, your brain automatically goes to your anchor mech. Typically, and when I'm cooking those general strategic movements in my head, um, and I quit counting hexes a long time ago and started feeling movement lanes, firing lanes, uh, because getting the perfect move, getting the perfect movement modifier is nice until it puts you in a weird and awkward position. So, you know, and that's kind of covering more of the movement stuff, but yeah, typically I've structured my whole movement around my anchor. So yeah, if nothing else is immobile, the anchor is going to go first, whether I won the initiative or lost the initiative typically. Yeah. I'll, I'll do immobile and then any like fire support that, that is in a good position that is not going to move and is not in any danger of, of, of getting shot in the back immediately, mm-hmm. I, I will also burn them. I'll, I'll move them next. I will say, and, and this is an interesting thing, you're talking about my anchor not always being the heaviest mech, is sometimes I'll bring a victor, and it is the heaviest and maybe not the heaviest or most armored mech, but it might be similarly armored to my lighter units. Um, but I don't move it like it's an anchor. It's a Aerial denial, area denial, AC twenty jumping mech. So I might save that one for later on in the initiative phase, um, and then one of my slower mediums. Like if I pair the victor up with an you know a hunchback, then the hunchback's the anchor 
because it doesn't have the jump jets, so it's not as nearly as uh, maneuverable. As the it's Victor not as is. maneuverable, but but the Victor's AC twenty is on its arm, so it can fire that directly behind it, whereas the the Hunchback cannot. Right. So much more flexible platform. Um, thus, not the anchor. And the anchor is immobile. It's it's inflexible rather. Can't react quickly. For me, um, for my initiative thinking, it's I essentially go from slowest to fastest. You so, find yourself tip you like usually doing that almost, much, almost always. Almost hundred percent of the time I'm moving my slowest stuff first, the things that I don't have to think about that more so I have already pre-planned like five turns of their movement. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if I win or lose initiative. I just plan on, you know, Archer goes here to get slightly better range over, you know, 30 hexes, essentially. He's yeah. he's not worried about... They're slow oh, enough. If, if somebody's going to get behind them, they're going to get behind them. Exactly. No. If, if someone's behind them, then hopefully the my entire game plan is switched up like i've noticed they have only dragonflies and you know elementals i'm not deploying you know staggered line for <laughs> indirect fire no um but normally it is like i'm working normally from my deployment zone forward and slowest to fastest that's just like my two easy don't have to apply too much brain power to get those out and i'm saving my fastest things for last things that i either need to move to get good modifiers to hit with like i want plus four because i'm gonna try to get around the (laughs) around dustin's victor essentially Mm -hmm. i don't want to get hit um but also because that's when it's knife fighting time for me like okay he has an exposed flank i need to get there if i lose initiative though then i might sink that last one and put him behind like a hill where he can't be fired at or he's you're having to shoot through two woods and normally I'll save that and a damage, like a heavy damage punisher, like something that's going to be able to hit anything that goes for the light mech for last. So it's always between those two. Yeah. Bait the light mech into, into not moving as fast. So it gets a better shot and then destroy the light mech. Exactly. It's always, it's always a good, always a good plan. I, I try not to give the easy answer of, oh, light mech move last all the time just because, well, then they'll know, okay, well, he's going to move that. So I kind of try to, you have to switch it up a little bit as the game necessitates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Take the shape of your container. But yeah, so that's pretty much my thoughts and initial thinking. Don't overthink it. Have kind of a plan or for what you're going to move first. And just kind of roll with it from there. Yep. Understand that if you lose initiative, you're going to have some bad moves. It's just going to happen. And you just roll with it. Yeah. So once you've moved all your mechs across the table, it's time to pick your targets. And something that always comes up, especially in clan invasion era games, is a focusing fire. And... (laughs) Draconis Combine Pilots ask, is it dishonorable to gang up on a target? Find the answers out next week. <laughs> <laughs> but not from them because they didn't focus fire and they don't exist anymore. Mm. Yeah. I mean, is it honorable? Who knows? Um, I mean, in clans and in, in Draconis Combine, no, it's not honorable. But tactics wise, yeah, it's it's one of the best uh, best tactics out there. 
Uh, you, you pick the threat and you get everybody to take the threat down. Um, and it's, it's, you know, if you can do that better than they can, you're, you're going to come out on top. Yeah. I feel like this is a wargaming 101 and secret, not a secret is a, a unit that is destroyed can no longer shoot. Um, so I'm, I feel like most of my game is trying to put my opponent in a weird position because this is almost always the answer, right? I'm going to be trying to give, you know, I will present a target for a turn and then I will back that target off to put my opponent in a weird position. If they try to focus that, you know, unit back down, um, focus it off the table. So I'm constantly trying to spread the damage around all the armor on the table because we're playing Battletech. Um, and I'm trying to dance around this, you know, this answer, I guess this, you know, always focus fire, always try to, you know, right. And if you're on the receiving end, you know, like you said, you, you have a bait mech for that turn and you need to rotate that. You've got to rotate the bait mech out in order to, to spread their damage around while, while you, you know, take one out Uh, honor, honor is like an RPG trait. Um, I think that uh, the that modifying your tactics to fit like an artificial constraint can be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, as a as a Karita player, I do that a lot. Um, good clan players do that, but but as far as good tactics, it's good tactics to focus fire. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, what do you think? Yeah, the admirable or the general on the war table on the war gaming table says, you know, kill until they're dead. The other train of thought that comes to mind is if you see them not focus firing, like they're kind of setting up on one-on-one duels, use that against them. If they're not willing to focus fire on you, don't focus fire on them and kind of exploit that. Like literally do what the inner sphere does against clans. (laughs) Like like don't, don't get it into their head if they're not, um, if they're not putting all their eggs into one basket to like blow up your anchor Mac or your heavy hitters or something like that. Don't, don't teach them that mid game, like kind of roll with it. Let them spread it, spread their mechs out, do their one-on-one duels. And if you see, if you feel like you have the upper hand, like 60 or 70% of the game, then, then switch it up. Start, you know, jumping all of your mechs into one, kill them, move on to the next one. But I'm not going to say always focus fire from the get-go. Like, don't pick your target like he has to die first. Yeah, all well, the if, time. It's, if you're playing clan on clan, I mean, that that may be part of your game is to is to do the honor duel thing. Um, oh, know. I mean, even in my, like, 3025 Intersphere games, like, I feel like people, like, us as tabletop war gamers we kind of like to set up our duels and like my mech a is better than your mech b and now they're going to fight and you know i'm gonna tell that story in my brain like i'm i'm not saying anything i'm just playing normally but in like my subconscious i wanted to do black knight versus you know grasshopper or something weird like that yeah well the the whole story like the early story there weren't many mechs and it was kind of like the the mechs or the knights of the battlefield and it would it would do that. In fact, they wouldn't fight to the death. They'd fight to, to you know, where one was too damaged, and then they pull off, uh, and then that would, you know, that territory would go to the to the victor. 
but the other guy would go home and repair and then he could, you know, fight again in another day. But, uh, by the time, you know, by the time we hit the, uh, the civil war, everybody had RCTs and RCTs, regimental combat teams. Yeah. I mean, they just had so many hundreds of mechs on each side that, that then you went into to a whole different type of tactics. I try not to get, you know, focusing fire is always the answer. Um, and I burnt too many brain cells when I started playing Battletech, like really trying to follow that doctrine. So I, to put a caveat on the, everything that I've already said about always focus fire, <laughs> duh, it's like, don't get too wrapped up into it. And if you, there is an amount of computing energy you have for an afternoon of Battletech. So don't, don't burn too much of it on trying to focus down a single target. Um, Take the shots when they come, of course, uh, but don't lose the game over it. Yeah, because if you start just horse, if you put on the horse blinders and you start only going for one target, that's, you know, 40% damage, then they're going to see that and they're going to start surrounding you and you're going to maybe kill the one target. But now that you're they're going to probably have you surrounded. At what cost? Exactly. So. Focus firing, not the end-all be-all. Good, but looking, not great. Looking for strategic victories, guys, yeah. not tactical ones. Because, and I can't understate this, you can overkill a target eventually. Oh, yeah, especially especially the way that the turns are set up where everyone has to declare fire before the damage is resolved. Mm-hmm. You know, first guy could kill him, and then everybody else is shooting at a dead mech. Yeah. And that's a wasted turn of shots that could have been easier easier done spread out right. and going on to the continuing on with the focusing fire topic how do you choose that priority target to focus fire Ooh, juicy yeah that's a tough one that's a real tough one who wants to start i mean the easy answer is it it depends on the objective you know if if the fast mech has the has the objective you want to stop him if the if the big guy is killing all the targets you want to stop him but but that's the name of the game you know it's uh, whoever can can determine the best target at which time he's going to win how do you do that yeah how do you do that um when i'm playing i feel like a yeah choosing a priority target is so incredibly situational i'm realizing all of a sudden you know, if we're doing a some sort of a slugfest or the game is presenting itself as a slugfest at the moment, because even if you're playing an objective game, killing a mech might be the best thing to do right now. And when it comes to which mech I'm going to kill, I, I maybe there's a hierarchy, but I think at the top of that is the mech I feel is most out of position and most or least flexible to respond to my focusing on that mech. So if I see, you know, some sort of, it doesn't, even a skirmisher could be kind of out of position, have a bad target movement modifier and not a great option to get out of that position in the next turn or two, you know, I'm going to focus on that target. Um, I mean, it makes sense. You're, you're the, you're the lion on the planes, you know, chasing down the gazelle and you're like, Oh, that's the slowest one. I'm gonna. Yeah, so I'm gonna eat that one first. Gonna eat that guy first. Like, yeah. don't be afraid to switch to a different target, but don't fall into the trap where they are forcing you to do it 
to to spread the damage around. Right. You know, be, be aware of of be aware of what your opponent is trying to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like I said, it's pretty situational, but you know, sometimes it might be worth. I'm going to say nine, nine. If you're if <laughs> If your combines, you know, if all your gator, your gunnery, target range, other um, target movement modifier, if that's coming up to 10, it's time to switch targets. Uh, but if I can get in, if I can, you know, finish it off on nine, eights, maybe nines, like well, absolutely. That's a that's a big difference. Like eights are what? Like f- almost 42% of the time you hit and nines are, are just under 28%. Like that's a big pretty rough and then and then tens are down to 16 something so yeah. in battletech when i'm playing a game of battletech if it, if if i'm rolling for a 10 i literally assume it's not happening like it's just wasted shot like yeah this guy's got nothing to shoot at so he'll take a 10 and i do not expect that to happen oh, man. Pre- preparing for this for this uh tactics here i, I was going over just, just like you do the die rolls and everything and i realized i can just go google like what, what die roll probabilities are for, for 2d6 back when I was doing this to begin with, there was no Google. Like I either had to figure it out or go look it up in a book somewhere. So you kids and your fancy toys. Yeah. We got it easy. It's way things. easier. Um, Josh, what about you? You know, what's kind of your hierarchy? I'm sure we'll bounce around a little bit, but how are you picking your targets on the battlefield? I mean, you have to take your priority target on a turn-by-turn basis. If they're running the Annihilator up the middle of the field and it's literally just mowing down all your in-place positions one by one, then yes, that's going to be the priority target. If the Annihilator is walking down the field and it's just, you know, plinking away for damage and you've got something else like a Grasshopper or, you know, like your Victor jumping four hexes a turn that's just slowly moving up and you understand that that's going that's not the priority target now but that will be an extreme priority target like two or three turns are now then that then you could probably say that that's the priority target now like i need to deal with that before it becomes something i can't deal with Um, yeah the black jacket over 10 hexes away never a priority no. <laughs> Golden Baby. That's why you lose. Yeah. <laughs> um. What? <laughs> Your armor crits are stupid. Well, they're in the game. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Anyways, I'll, yeah. I'll take those odds. Um, things like that, things that are going to be like insane problems for me are priority targets. If I'm running like C3 networks, then ECM fast-moving ECM is a priority target because it's going to shut my entire strategy down. So Electronic Warfare is probably the next one on the list. Melee mechs? I'm, I'm going to put melee mechs kind of up there. Yeah, if I, if, 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 they, I, if, yep, if they close and they get in the wrong spot, you know, that's, that's super bad. Because that's something that can dictate the engagement pretty well for an opponent. If it's something that I can't outmaneuver or something that I have to kind of go through, then I'm going to try to get that out of my way as early as possible. Like, yeah, because you get knife fighters, and then in Battletech you have hatchet fighters and sword <laughs> fighters, and those are even more of a problem. Feet fighters. <laughs> Foot kickers. God, the kickers. Um, I really like what you said earlier about you know, looking a couple turns down the line and, and seeing what is going to be the problem for me and 
choosing that as a priority target. Um, I cut my teeth on Battletech as a war gamer in general, and I went through a phase where I thought to myself, Battletech is math and <laughs> dice 2d6 is numbers. So always take the most likely shots. That doesn't mean you're shooting at the mech with the lowest modifier, but you know, I'm adding up all of my modifiers and I'm like, okay, I got a seven over here and an eight over there. So I'm going to take the seven. I've got an eight over here and a 10 over there. So of course I'm going to take the eight, but I pretty quickly learned that that's not actually how you win games. So. Yeah, it's not. That is how you spread damage out equally among everything. Exactly. So, um, yeah, don't, don't don't get too bogged down in it and really try to think about what's going to be the biggest threat to you. Like you were saying, Josh, I really like that. Um, you know, and pick that. That's your, that's your priority. Deal with it. Yeah. All right. So once you've chosen your priority target, per se, um, Let's say you want to maneuver in for that back shot to do maximum damage. Is it always worth it to try to maneuver yourself to get into their rear arc? Or is it something, or is it, or can it be the wrong choice? So I'll answer this first because I think it'll lead into a good discussion. Uh, I find personally that maneuvering for rear shots never works out. You got to remember that you're not always going to hit the torso locations. So I have been upset many times playing BattleTech where I'm like, okay, I've got this mech with the AC20 or the AC10 or the large laser or something that can punch through that rear armor. And then you got to think to yourself, Eve, are you going to hit the torso locations? Are you even going to get through the armor? And even if you do, are you actually going to get the crit? Because odds are you're actually not going to get the crit. So I almost never maneuver around back shots. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong. So let me know, guys. I, I think in general, like the concept is you're wrong. Um, it, it's more it's more psychological. Are you, are you saying Dustin's wrong? I just need yes. this on the record. Yes. No, cool. I'm saying Dustin is wrong on the record. I'll say that right now. Uh, now if I can, if I can do it without jumping, yes, because, you know, jumping is an automatic plus three. It, it just, you know, the, the, everything adds up once you are behind them, especially if you can get to it, walking or running, you know, the odds are you're going to hit a torso location. Those are the most common numbers that you roll uh, on 2d6. Um, especially if it's something like an enforcer that has incredibly weak armor or yeah there's or, a caveat for the enforcer <laughs> or you know like like the hunchback who only has ammo in its left torso so any crits there are going to blow it up um but but you don't want to get in there and and like risk it all on on a single AC20 you know you want to get the the light fast mechs like like the jenners or the locusts that have you know uh, m- more than a couple like Medium lasers and SRMs; those are those are really what you want back there. But but you don't want to risk it all. Like I said, with a big mech, you want to use the lights because they can get in there. Hopefully, you've run around in a circle to to you know build up a nice modifier so you don't get killed. And always make sure you're not falling into a trap where someone's like expecting you to do that and then blows up your your light mech. But you're getting them worried, and when you get like you know, that enforcer or the hunchback armor low, they are going to be worried and they're not going to act the way that that mech should act. 
and you're going to take them out of the battle and keep them from doing what that those mechs are good for for a turn or two or maybe even three if your light mech stays alive. So even if you're not blowing it up with those rear shots, you are doing damage by taking them out of the fight and not letting them do their job. Ah, this is interesting because I'm so anti backshot positioning that I literally don't care when people get into my rear arc. I'm not asking for it, <laughs> but I'm like, oh, that's a mind game. I don't, you know, he's I'm not, immune to the Jedi, psychological yeah. damage. <laughs> it just doesn't, your Jedi mind tricks don't work on me. Um, now, of course, I've lost a mech here and there to rear shots, but I just feel like it's infrequent enough. Um, but, you know, personally, but of course, you know, this is why we play to put our um, theories to the test. And and also, if a if a really juicy backside presents it to myself, sure. You know, if my I remember off the top of my head, um, anecdotally, my brother had the Annihilator. This is some variant with four PPCs and I had a Jenner. So, of course, I'm going to take all the armor off of the backside of the Annihilator to where it's literally backed up into a wall. Um, so you know but it has to be a pretty extreme situation i just it never works out for me it's it, it's about those chemicals too that's why I, that's why i shoot with the ac2 and i don't care if you get behind my mechs yeah it's weird to me that <laughs> that, that you don't trust the um you know the the like the the percentages of, of rolling a, a six, six seven, seven or eight, or eight. Yeah. Which is, you know, so <laughs> such a high percentage, and and yet you're happy to stand back with that uh, with that blackjack and hope that you get, you know, the two point eight percent armor crit pass through crit thing. Well, if you're always hitting, you're always getting the chance to roll it. Uh, but anyways, uh, I was trying to think about the the back shots. I mean, you got you got rear armor. You you got to use it, guys. Come on. You're paying good battle value for that armor on the back of your mech. <laughs> the number of commandos who have fallen for my lance a lot. No, don't shoot me in the rear arc. I can't, I can't flip my arms 180 degrees around. Large laser. Burr, 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 ammo, ammo crit. Burr. Yeah. No, Do you remember um, that, that any mech that doesn't have lower armor hand actuators can flip their arms, not just the ones that say it in the TRO? Yeah, it's a trap. <laughs> Even um, that catapult. Mm-hmm. LR, LRM bends to the rear. <laughs> yeah no uh, um i will yeah, say that rear shots i want to say are like 50 percent psychological and 50 percent effective damage wise yeah uh, but you know me i play psychologically yeah and dozen, dozens immune to your psychological damage <laughs> but <laughs> i mean i've, well, I've have a battle of wits with an unarmed opponent i know I mean, how many times has your mongoose taken out one of my mechs it's, from, from the rear? And that's the thing. It's rarely do my rear shots take out the mech. They more mm-hmm. so nip at it and force you to react other mechs. Like it, normally if you're getting something into something's rear arc, it's normally the closest mech to like your front line. Mm-hmm. At least at least the first couple ones. So there's always mechs behind it, which are now going to be setting up to take rear shots at your mech. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a gamble of, okay, do I commit and then lose initiative? And then now I'm on the back foot. Like, like rear yeah. shots are not always the end all be all. I can kill the mech in one turn. That, that happens just as much as Justin's, you know, golden BB, AC2 engine crit. And on that, like with your mongoose, if you can get it all the way in the back behind, you know, the big ones, and if you can force them 
to to pull some mechs back to to take care of that, then then that just slows down their whole push. Ah, don't take the bait, guys. It's just bait. But everyone <laughs> got does. back armor, and I love it. Um, so because it's bait, because people fall for it, Dustin. That's why I do it. Okay. Maybe you don't, but you're the exception. Well, we, we discovered that we've literally never played a 1v1 classic Battletech game. So maybe we, we got to put we it must, on the table sometime. We, we must fix that. Yeah. This is, this is um, what's it called? This is meta advice for everybody in all war games, by the way. When it comes to this, where you've got two opposed opinions, quit arguing about it and put it on the damn table. Oh, my yep. God. If I have to hear people <laughs> argue at each other armchair general it i'm like you literally have a board game to figure this out please play it <laughs> anyways back well to bargained it. and done yeah <laughs> i just uh, want like the heavy version of the urban mech where it has the same front armor as does the rear armor and it doesn't matter which chart you're shooting on oh the two 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 one with hardened armor or whatever yeah <laughs> like does that exist or is that custom <sighs> And he can flip his arms. So. Yeah, so it's the 360. <laughs> he has just as much armor in the front as the back. You can't tell which is the front and which is the back. And the arm can see you no matter where you go. No matter where you go. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect mech, people. Um, but yeah, so let's move on from that to like conga lining. So everyone's had the situation. I know. Mm. This is this is the quintessential beginner like first game. Yeah, thirty twenty five. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're playing with more than two mechs, that this is what's going to happen every time. Well, you're going to shoot at my rear arc, so I'm going to shoot at your rear arc, and I'm going to shoot it back at your rear arc. Yeah, the conga line. So how do you how do you find yourself not falling into the trap of the conga line? Slash is the conga line good if you're the last person in the conga line Ooh, well back shots don't work so conga <laughs> line is bad <laughs> it's um, not that back shots don't work it's that back shots don't work as well as they think they do right right of course i think yeah. the counter to the conga line is learning how to use terrain you know learning how to run five hexes and end up in a woods hex you know to 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 really make it so that your modifiers are lower than your opponent's modifiers. And if you just stand in a line and roll, it's just, you know, that that's not playing the game. That's just, you know, who can roll a four or higher faster. I mean, the 400 ton battle tech, you know, fisticuff fight in the middle of the map is a hoot and a holler, but (laughs) planning down the line, you know, Having a game plan, you know, like you're the coach, you know, you're playing football, you got the circles and the X's and the, you know, you're going to go over here, you're going to go over there. I feel like if you've got the conga line, if you've got the the scrum in the middle, uh, you're not applying your your chess pieces in the in the best way perhaps you're right yeah yeah exactly like if 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 that's part of your plan is to not the whole team to get in the conga line. But you said the, the the scrum in the middle, you just get that one guy who who like never shows up to practice and he's always angry because he doesn't know how to play the game, but it doesn't matter because you're just sending him in to get into a fist fight. Right. You know, that causes a distraction that you can use, but that again is not, you know, beginner level playing. Um yeah. that's just that's just using that's just using their your pieces to the to to your advantage. Yeah, it's hard for me to it's definitely not something I plan for. It's not something I want. Um, I don't see any advantages to it. 
you, it, with all the kicks and punches happening in the conga line, you're really casting a lot to fate. Um, yeah, there's no tactics. It's the, it's the anti-tactics. Yeah. Which if um, you're playing against psychics and people that can read <laughs> your mind, it's the best tactic I can recommend. Yeah, but yeah, I, I would say that's the cure for the conga line is just being able to plan or, you know, thinking about your troops, your chess pieces, you know, one, at least one, maybe two or three turns ahead um, and making sure they don't get bogged down, stuck in, you know, put out of position. Um, you know, on when we're playing MechWarrior Online, they call it NASCAR because you, if you're in the middle, if you're the guy in the middle, everybody's shooting at you you're going to die. So don't be the guy, you know, in the middle, even your anchor shouldn't be in the middle getting punched and kicked to death. Um, that, that's yeah. a tactic for impatient people and you got to have a little bit of patience. Yeah. I think when you start conga lining by that point, you are either trying to move in for back shots and then they are trying to move in for back shots. So I think the easiest thing is recognize if you, commit to it how they are going to react and if you think that they're just trying to come at you back there's nothing wrong with backing up a couple hexes and kind of giving them space to pull their formation apart like let them separate themselves a little bit and that's when you can kind of focus them down one by one <laughs> a lot of a lot of okay that, that works I mean, there, well, there's, there's no, there's not much. Yeah. yeah there, there's no easy way to break a conga line. Once you get it, like someone has to just commit and it's normally going to be the most mobile Mac is it's going either to that or call in the artillery and turn friendly fire off, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If the, if the conga line has happened, it's, it's kind of already, you know, things went wrong you know, maybe two, <laughs> two or three turns ago. So that, which is why I say again, you know, be sure you're planning ahead. Even all the way back to when we were talking about initiative, be thinking of not digging your mechs in too hard. How, what are their escape plans? How are you going to make sure they're not out of position? How are you going to make sure they're not in the conga line? You don't want to be there. Have a really heavy, really angry mech. Hopefully has a hatchet, maybe some TSM, and just turn that override off. And by that That's point... Like yeah. Stack full rules. Yep. Turn yeah. that on. <laughs> Hope, pray for four engine hits, and then you got to roll, what is it, like an eight on your I explosion? A, I think it was a 10, oh, 10 or higher. Yeah. I've, I've tried rolling it once. It didn't work. I was disappointed. I was, yeah, promised, you, I was promised big explosions. Yeah. And if you are playing the Spider-Man mech, like the, you're not stuck in here with me, <laughs> I, or I'm not stuck in here with you, you're stuck in here with me. That uh, was uh, Rorschach from... Yeah, that was Rorschach from from Watchmen, not Spider Man. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, if you're playing the, if your opponent brings that, or if you bring it, like that goes back to the priority targets. Like, that's a priority target. If if the mech comes to the table and he's like, "I'm here for the scrum, bro," like that's kill the mech, <laughs> kill it before it it's kill, kill it from it brings, ten hexes away. Yeah, before it brings the conga line to your part of the map for you to your app. Yep. So yeah, you have to stop it before it happens. Yeah. <laughs> Once you're in it, there's no easy way out. It's too late. It's too late. <laughs> you're like, well, next game, this is what I'll do. Um, 
Um. <laughs> In uh, case you didn't know. <laughs> yes, and I know this This is one of those, uh, I want to say, basic rules that we just kind of learn and it just becomes reflex, but... Denim's got a lot of experience with Battletech, like years more than I do. I'm interested to see if he has a different answer, or if he's just going to be like, yes, this is blessed. Let's move on. <laughs> I feel like we went over it on the doing damage episode, but... I think we we probably did. Yeah, it's the... Is using the big damage weapons first before using the smaller crit-seeking weapons second? Is that always the correct order? Is there ever a case to not go high damage to low scatter damage? No, there isn't, and so much so that I believe in in the the more recent iterations of the rulebook, they they actually use that as examples, like like it is in the rulebook somewhere. Not that you have to do it, but that but you they should you do to. it. Yeah. yeah, it's always the right answer. AC twenty yeah. followed up with the SRMs. Don't don't do it the other way. Yeah, That's, always. Yeah, I'm trying to think. My brain's like. Cycling I really can't through every scenario possible. Yeah, I, I cannot think of one time at which it would be better the other even, way. Around. Even if you're like shooting the AC-20 followed by the LBX-20 slug, like go ahead and see if you're going to take the mech's head off before you have to roll all those dice, man. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> no. Uh, we're going to say that's a given. We're gonna I agree with Destin on this one. I'll post this one to the board of mech. Battletech podcast, and if I can get a three-on-three, I think we can just have this certified in the rules. (laughs) Big weapon first, little weapon second. Always. All right. Um, Now to melee attacks. So Hold hold on, actually, before, because some people may not understand exactly what we're talking about there. Um, I don't don't know, because, you know, some people may not be... No, please, please, please. May not be you know, experienced Battletech players, maybe they're just thinking about it. What what we're talking about is, you know, all damage is done simultaneous, but but the shooter gets to dis- gets to determine the order in which his weapons arrive at the target. So if As you, you have Yep. Right. So you don't you don't get to say like, oh, I got an SRM six and an AC twenty that hit. No, you have to roll to see if the AC twenty hits. And if it hits, then you have to roll to see if the SRM six hits. So right, but but right. once you found out everything that hits, so it turns out you know you hit with uh, with um, an AC ten, you hit with um, a medium laser, and you hit with uh, you know like three SRMs, and say the mech has um, eight points of armor on one location. No, let's let's make it higher than that. Let's make it uh, fifteen points of armor. So if you hit with the three SRMs. So, okay, once everything hits, you get to decide which order you're going to apply the damage. So you know that they hit. You know that the AC-10 hit, the medium laser hit, and the three SRMs hit. You know that they hit. So if you decide, I'm going to have the three SRMs hit first, and they hit the left torso, which has 15 points of armor, you're going to do two, four, six points of damage, and then you're going to follow it up with the medium laser. So that's five more, which makes it 11. And then you're going to hit with the AC-10 for 10, which is going to go through the armor and cause a crit. Yay, you've got one crit. But say, instead, you decide to do the AC-10 first, so that takes off 10, then the AC-5, or then the, the medium blazer, which is 5, which causes a crit, because it had 12 points of armor, and then the three missiles hit, and that's three more possible crits, so that's four possible crits, as opposed to one possible crit. You know, there is 
never a reason to do the smaller ones first because you just end up with less possible crits. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's how it works and it's how the rules are set up for it to work. And that is until definitely Battle- how you should do it. Until Battletech 2.0, then that is, we will always go big, large damage weapon to get through the armor and then as many small damage things to get us more chances to roll crit rolls. Because you're never going to roll a crit, but you'll have more chances to roll a crit. Yeah, it's almost like you need you need almost three attempts to get that good, reliable chance to get a crit roll. So, yep. so save that SRM-6 to land the three missiles to get the three chances. It's worth it in the end. Okay, that's all I have to say about that. No, you're fine. All right. You're fine. So, everything went wrong. You're in the conga line. It's time <laughs> to make some melee attacks. Um, for me, in most cases, I'm going to kick. You get minus two to kick. Uh, punches, I never seem to land on the face. Um, and then even better, if you're doing it right, you're kicking on the punch table anyways. So, I'm trying to think. I almost always prefer a kick to a punch. Um, can I even have a hard time thinking of any edge cases? But I know that you know that's uh, probably not what everybody thinks. Nope, I've got a couple, a couple edge cases. Roll so with give them, them to me. <laughs> yeah. So you know, yeah, kicks are nice because there, there's that uh, automatic PSR. We love getting PSRs, um, but. Uh, times to do punches, you know, it's always nice to hit the head, but most mechs can't do enough damage on a punch to break through that armor anyway. So that's great for doing some damage and maybe knocking a pilot unconscious, but it's not, it's not very often, but the best time to do punches are once again, when you get those mechs with ammo in their torsos and you can get into the rear torso and you can get a punch or two, since you can do two punches if you don't fire weapons on either arm where you might just be able to punch through that torso armor because it's a it's you know, a 1d6. You're not going to hit any legs. The odds of hitting a torso are way higher. Mm-hmm. And you might just get in there and wreck a weapon or get an ammo explosion. That's when I would use a punch or two punches instead of a kick. But most of the times I'll do the kick. Or, you know, say they're on the edge of a cliff or on the edge of the map, just push them. Don't oh, even have to yeah. punch or kick. Just give them a push. A lot of people forget that pushing is a, is an option. And a lot of times you could just completely take a mech out by pushing them out of bounds or off a level three cliff. Yeah. This ain't Dungeons and Dragons pushing off a cliff and fall damage does a lot more than everyone thinks. Yep. It's like a fall per level of height. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So you take the regular fall damage and you multiply it by each level you fell, right? Each level plus one. Level plus okay, so this so literally if they fall, never if, happened to me. So yeah, if you push them off a, th- a three level a level three cliff and they fall, I got a ton mech. The wind they, is yep. blowing to the east. Yes. <laughs> so you push them off there. So it's a three hex level fall. So okay. they take the five points of damage for them being a fifty ton mech times four. Oh wow! Because if you, if you fall in the same hex you're in, that's a that's a you know a level zero thing. So you, you're not going to do zero points damage. So, so it's four that times level five. time you know plus one times the damage plus uh depending on how far you fall that is a modifier to the seatbelt check as well oh no kidding yep so you it's actually more likely to damage the pilot if you push them off a higher cliff awesome 
Oh, and, and you may not know this, you can't jump into water. Right. You jump over water and then you fall into the water. So you have a, you have a PSR when you hit the water and you've got a PSR when you hit the bottom, if you fail that first one. Wait, 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 wait. So if you, you can, you can jump with your jump jets into water, right? Nope. No, you can jump over water and fall into water. That's in the battle mech manual. Yeah. So if you take your mech that has jump jets and you jump into the water, you're not actually, you don't just land and roll like a minus one or something. It's effectively the same, but, but there, there are minor differences and it's because say you're, you're doing a DFA or something, uh-huh. or I, I don't know. There, there's, there's edge cases where, where it comes, it's very important to, to know that difference, Uh-oh. but, but technically you're not jumping into water. You're jumping over water and dropping into it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but not to, not to turn it into. Yeah. Yeah. We can get into that later, yeah, but I just wanted to throw that out there since, okay, okay. Since, since we were talking about falls. But anyway, so push them off the cliff. They take more damage. Yep. Push them yep. off the map. They just, they're just, they're destroyed. Gone. Yep. Mission kill. Yep. Okay. Otherwise kick unless you're, you know, behind them and trying to get that, that torso crit. Unless you're a and crusader a, or a, was it wasp trigger. that has weapons in the legs? Yes. Oh, there you go. <laughs> then um, you're punching, but normally you have weapons in your arm, so you're not doing any melee. Uh, what about charges? Oh yeah. I mean, charges, charges are great, but, but like uh, charges are in place of a weapon attack. Yes. Yeah. Punches, pushes, and kicks are not in place of they're They're in addition to. Yeah. I feel like, um, charges and death from above falls into the don't uh, death from above. Literally. I never do it because I've never seen it. I have yet to see one connect in a game I've played and I've played quite a few games. Um, and a charge is much less risky because the, you know, if you miss your death from above, you, you've got to take another test to see if you fall. Correct. Yep. Um, and, and you can and get it, shot out of the air as you claim, you know, your death from above, but a charge is just much less risky. And yeah. if you I, miss a charge, you, you know, you just go to the just, hex to the side. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I still think I want to say that I still haven't had a charge connect either. But yeah, much less risky. So charge almost never, and death from above for me personally, literally never. Uh, Josh, I've pushed one, I've charged one, <laughs> I've done a lot of punching and I've done a lot of kicking. I've done some thrashing too. So, <laughs> um, do you have preference or you know when when will you kick? Since since we're mostly talking about I kicks mean, and punches, basically, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a rule of cool that it's kind of like. I don't want to say kicking sand in my opponent's face. It's like, you know, I could kick you. Instead, I'm just going to roll two eights to see if I punch you because that's how right. that's how much I think of you right now. <laughs> oh, if you're ever one like, level above that field goal kick, that that head straight oh off, gosh. that's the best. It happens. That has happened. I have kicked so many mechs in the noggin. It is beautiful. It's glorious. Does and that, kicks do does a that lot count as damage. a full kill? Like I'd need to know for like my mega mech test runs of virtual course. testing. Like, is of that course. a full kill? Does that go on like okay, no, this is a perfectly designed it's mech. It's literally illustrated. There's there's <laughs> so isn't it the dragon missing an arm putting his foot through the cockpit of what is it? Some mech, right? Yeah, it is it's it is a, a mech. Yep. Yeah. It's it's dope. Yeah, put your foot through their through the cockpit. Yeah, yep. it's glorious. Yeah, I mean, one point for every five tons, so that fifty Ooh. tonner is doing ten points ten to the head. You got a you got an assault mech, and you're doing at least sixteen. Oh, yep. Oh, 
It's beautiful. It's glorious. Chef's kiss. I love kicks. <laughs> Always kick. Um, kick them when they're down. Kick them when they're up. Kick them when you're higher than them. Kick them. <laughs> yeah, no, kicking is just... Okay, if I have damaged legs, <laughs> if I can't risk falling, if I already know they are either going to take a PSR or it's not... Or I actually don't want them to fall so I can set up something later. Like, mm. I don't want to say kicks... 100% of the time. I want to say kicks like 90% of the time. 90% of the time. Yeah. And it damage notwithstanding. Yeah. Uh, also, physical attacks are not affected by your heat scale. So if you're super hot, hot and your, you know, and your weapon attacks are all at plus three or plus four, not your physical attacks. That's so right. remember that. Punch him. And if you're running an Atlas, you know, shooting two medium lasers, one in each arm, costs 10 heat. Why not punch? Also not affected by sensor hits, as far as I can recall. Ooh. I mean, at that point, you're seeing the whites in their eyes, or or the greens in their lasers, or the reds in their sensor pods. Like, I mean, the list goes on and on. But yeah, I know for a lot of times my light mechs will kick. But like I said, there are many times where I'm not willing to risk them falling. Like, I, I physically can't put it up to a five up to pass like I, I need them to stay standing or they already have 20 damage on them from being kicked oh. and i i don't want to double risk it uh, and and remember folks you know m- kicking a mech that the the mech that receives the kick gets a you know psr plus zero and a locust can trip an atlas just as easily as anything else can on that trade up, always be kicking. Like oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Atlas will hurt himself more on the fall than you will on the kick. Yes. But you know, take it, check your battle plan. See if it's worth it. You don't want to punch with the locust anyway, because you know, you it's do get no modifiers. Risk. Well, yeah, the, the, actuator. the actuator modifiers, not okay. only affect the, yeah, affect the, do you hit? Yeah. It's a half damage added on top of that. So if you don't have a hand actuator, I think it's half damage. And if you don't have lower arm, it's plus two to the punch. Yep. It's, it's rough. Yeah. Take that. Never mind. I was going to say take that sack, but that's (laughs) true. But yeah. Um, this is something that we haven't talked about, but I'd like to get deeper into in a later episode, but playing with different types of terrain, weather, or planetary effects. I mean, most times we're playing on the perfect, you know, Terran, you know, standard, one atmosphere, mm-hmm. 25 degrees C. Yeah. Um, All right. My opinion is if you're a beginner player and you've played less than 20 games, don't. It's just going to slow your game down so much. Mm-hmm. But if you've played a lot and you know you don't have to look things up on tables and, and your games go pretty fast, it's a good way to really add some flavor to to your game and think about it in a way that you don't normally think about it. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I I feel like with us talking Battletech tabletop tactics and not, you know, how to set up a good uh, narrative game, I'm, I'm, I mean, I've, I've, I've tried weather effects occasionally, but I... You know, I'm rolling those tables on, you know, the pre-made scenarios in the back of the error report or something like that. You know, it might be raining. Um, it can spice up the game. But for me, I feel like there's 
unless it's a 100% yeah like narrative thing yeah campaigns it works better yeah it, it yeah. feels better cuz you've got a, a set you know your mechs are, are set in a campaign mm-hmm. and, and when you know laser weapons are fine and unaffected but but strong gusts make your missiles harder to hit you know yeah. if if your lance has a lot of missile boats that's going to affect you um if they're all energy it's not going to affect you at all but 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 adjusting to that in a campaign setting is awesome but but if not it just feels like you're being punished for for no reason right by, yeah. by by nobody and that just and it slows down the game yeah so um that that's for experienced players and it really adds flavor but yeah, otherwise yeah that's more for flavor not as much for substance i want to say like I don't want to say I would never play like a pickup game with weather conditions. It's just something that, okay, now we have to sit down and explain how they're going to interact with all of our mechs, all of our equipment, the game, the mission and all of that. Yeah. yeah the, um, the, that alien, um, alien train pack that they put out for wave two, like every single one of the maps has, has different types of, of, uh, terrain and weather effects you know the mm-hmm. the lunar one if you're on top of the uh the the buildings when they when they decompress it launches you you know 11 hexes <laughs> into the air um one one of them it it gets really windy every now and again and if you're standing downwind from these pools of acid it corrodes your armor and gives you modifiers another one has got a bunch of crystals that you have to pay attention to when the earthquakes hit so really cool stuff mm-hmm. um if if you're willing to you know, if you're prepared for your game to be slower. Yeah. Yep. I've played on the lunar map and we're not doing breach rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've done breach and I've done visibility through night. And that is the extent of what I've done. Yeah. I've talked about it. Your... And I've looked about it, all the other ones and they look like so much fun, but that looks like a like campaign day where it's just like, right. all right, we're doing a weird hop across the system. First stops the desert. Everyone gets adds plus five. So count it, count an engine hit out the gate. We did uh we did nighttime a month ago with, with missions, right? Yeah. Yeah. So as long as you get spotlights, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's all good. Unless you don't. <laughs> unless you don't. You're fine. Unless you're not. That's right. That's right. Yeah, breach rules not fun. Done those never, never again. I mean, you got to know them because we do have water on our mats. Yeah, it, but it's like you're fighting underwater all the time. <laughs> yeah, which is oof. Yeah, yeah. Where's my hard gel? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think this all kind of wraps into like what's the best way to recognize what your opponent is trying to do and how to counter that effectively. And Ooh. Yeah, no, that's like the end all, or that's the loaded question of the night, isn't it? Yeah, well, sometimes it's easy. Like, like if he has, if he has a a fire support mech on his side, and you you know you see that there is you know that elevated heavy woods hex with partial cover, you know he's <laughs> going to park it there. Like you know it, and you can, you know, you can prepare for that, and you can set up your defense against that. Blackjack um, goes here. Is written. Yeah, on the exa- hex. exactly. You know. And, and you know you can put things in in its path so that uh, so that you know that you've got cover the whole time. But but of course you know that question is always, well, what's happening in the game? You know, you, you've got to just be observant and you've got to think 
And you've not only think about what you want to do, but think about what your opponent wants to do and how he wants to do it. And like Dustin said, it's like playing chess. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like when it comes to recognizing um, what the other player is doing, uh, I feel like step one to that is figuring out what their centerpiece is. So if, if I've got an anchor, I'm going to be playing around it. So deducing what, what that is for your opponent at any given moment in the game um, is really going to help you react to their plan, their battle plan, um, positioning to negate their long range fire, uh, positioning to stay away from their knife fighter or their brawler. Uh, I think I think you're doing your best to try to hide that from your opponent and your opponent is probably doing that too. So I think a volume of games is going to help you discern that. I don't think there's any, you know, this is like one of those feelings questions. You got to, how do you feel? And and remember it is, it is a dice based game. So, you know, be luckier than your opponent. That's (laughs) that's how you win. Roll more twelves. Yeah. (laughs) Roll more what? Roll more twelves and twos. Yeah. Fifty um, you know, percent of the time they'll be great. The other fifty percent they're worthless. Yeah. To pay pay attention to the math. If you know, pay attention to uh what the difference is between needing to roll a seven up as opposed to a nine up. Um you know, like like make sure that you're getting the lower numbers consistently while they're getting the higher numbers consistently. And and you know, it won't work all the time, but over time it will work every time. Yeah. I I feel like personally I get there's so much metagame because like, you know what you're doing and you know what you think your opponent is doing. And you're going to think about how you're going to think about how they're thinking about what they're going to do. Um, and once again, only so many brain cells to use in an afternoon of battle tech. So it's tough. I feel like it's a balancing act, you know, not to burn out on trying to 4d chess the game, but also not ignoring it is important. Uh, what do you think, Josh? Yeah, Josh. Psychological warfare is one of those skills that kind of comes with experience, and it's it's not something you can really teach a player. Like game one through ten, barely even ten through twenty. Like, yeah, correct. Because you have to know what the mechs can do, like what they were designed to do, but also like how they play on the table, like blackjack you know we make fun of it that the riflemen and mm-hmm. what's the other one uh the jaeger mech they're all like anti-air mechs nope they're not used as anti-air on the table so when you see them played like they're normally long-range fire support if you don't know that then you can't really get into your opponent's head right right so that just comes with experience if you see them like doing an obvious like cookie cutter watching the history channel or you know military mm-hmm. channel like oh he's making a perfect like sphere or spear formation and he's got the his heavy atlas at the tip of the spear at the very front leading you know shooting ac20s off like yeah he's he's just doing a basic like hammer and anvil or something like, mm-hmm. like that just kind of all comes with experience and recognizing what they're doing 
I will say isn't as important as recognizing what you're doing. Like, yeah, know what your guys are going to do. Have a plan. Have a plan that's can can survive contact with the enemy just a little bit. Like, know what your guys are going to do. Know what they're going to do well, and set them up to be able to do that. And if you don't do it effectively, and everything goes wrong. Just remember that it's a game about giant robots beating each other up. So even if it's your robots getting beat up, it's still cool and you should still have fun with it. That's what I tell all my opponents. (laughs) Why do you always say that when I lose? (laughs) Um, Yeah, the metagame is is crazy. Uh, Don't get too wound up in it. Get 50% wound up in the metagame. What is my opponent doing? What do they think I'm doing? What do they think that I'm going to do? Because I'm thinking that they think that I'm going to do this, you know? Meanwhile, Josh is like, come on, Dustin, it's your turn. It's your turn. Yeah. I don't care as much about what the opponent's plan is. Like, I have a plan. And the longer I can keep on my plan, the better I'm going to be doing turn five, six, seven, eight, even turn 10 plus. Yeah. Like I have a general plan. It's not wired down to be here by turn X. It's like, all right, Black Knight should be roughly in the middle of the board, have some cover on one side, you know, fire supports in the back, set up, ready to bail out to secondary location, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Escape routes are marked to your right and left. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big red eject button taped over, not wired in correctly. Um, so this is one always, that I oh you go I was just always good to have an escape plan exactly actually that that would be my biggest thing it's yeah, like don't get stuck in <laughs> don't get trapped within the conga line nobody wants that yeah um, so this is the more personal question I'll start off with either Dustin or Dan I'll let whoever goes first but uh, do you have a favorite tactic on the battlefield like a signature mm. move that you feel like you've either always see yourself doing in a game or one that you love to like throw out because you know all the rules and all the ways to master it sort i'll take that one to begin with i i mean obviously i'm going to say it favorite tactic always depends on what's going on but um i am a firm believer that the heat scale was put there for a reason and i will be known to alpha strike and maybe even alpha strike twice even if it means my mech shuts down if, if it's in a place where I've got good odds and I know that this could make or break, you know, this particular push <laughs> or whatever, I am not afraid to go way high on the heat scale when I need oh, to. Oh, man. I love this so much, Denim, because as I was looking at this question and thinking about my signature move is, is to literally never overheat. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it might happen, but I, I mean, you've played across from me, Josh. I I. I mean, have you noticed that I'm basically always never above five? I feel like you particularly lean towards mechs that have no ability to overheat themselves, like naturally. Like I, I think you just like to remove that math from the equation. Hi, it helps for sure. Yeah, because you're not um, focused on all right, limit limit this weapon or double tap this turn, single tap next turn. Like you're not. So if you play that. a Nova, Dustin, you just you just play with one arm tied behind your back. Yeah. I've put oh. I've put a Nova on the table before, and I'm just like, nah, six medium lasers are getting shot per turn, no matter what. 
and it boils down to I think it's part of my play style is I, I'm a uh, except for the AC2 it'll always be the exception for me but I'm a I'm a risk averse player so I'm never counting on the back shot I'm never counting on the alpha strike I'm you know steady as she goes wins the race you know so I'm the, I'm the tortoise here and, and I just yeah. I, but my know. battles are anime yours are boring yeah <laughs> I know. <laughs> his oh, battle, man, his battles are one of the logis- logistics corps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you just say corpse? <sighs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we, we, we got to play a match. We figured that out. Um, and how about you, Josh? What's your, what's your go-to tactic? I don't know. I'm going to ask you, my number one oh, opponent, okay. what yeah. you think mine is, and then I'll be like... Number one attack... <laughs> Bring a mongoose, bring a black knight. I was going to say, bringing a black knight is not a signature move. No, no, it's not. <laughs> a signature mech is not a signature move. Uh, Unless you're the Highlander burial. I mean, I mean that, that's, yeah. But I don't do that. That's not mine. I Maybe it's not a secret because you, it was like literally in episode one, but you want to, you want to, you want to get in your opponent's head and you want to take the signature piece. You know, what do they care about the most? How do you mind game them the best? And I think that's what you're going to try to do. Yeah, I I try to do that. And I try to do it with like a little flair, a little rule of cool. And like I said, if if it's cooler that I knock your mech's face off with two punches rather than going a little bit more efficient with a single kick, then mm-hmm. I'll do that. Like, uh, See, the numbers are in the kick <laughs> and the PSRs are just always worth it. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. almost always kicking. Yeah, so my my tactic is I like a little flare. Like, I will take the worse shots if they feel cooler, and they'll throw my opponent off a little bit harder. Huh? So you like the eighties wrestler of of Battle Max? <sighs> yeah, I guess I am the Triple H. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, crap, not the bone sauce ready. Oh, what's his name? <laughs> what's his name? What Ric Flair? <laughs> no, the other one. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, oh. the guy with the glasses. Yes. Oh, oh. yeah. Um, okay, somebody uh, Google that real fast. <laughs> it's bone saw. Bone saw. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not that. Oh, they all wear glasses. Oh no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Randy Savage. Yes. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah. Look, I'm, yeah, the one who lived through, I'm the one who lived through that. I should have remembered. Oh, no, it's okay. It is Randy Savage. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like a little flair just to like show off and before like putting the finisher on, I, I want to say that's me. Like, like tripping you with a mongoose and then hatcheting your head with the black knight. Like, I guess that is fine. Like you would expect it to be the other way around. Like the black knight does the damage and the mongoose gets the kill. No, it's the, the light mech just comes out of nowhere tag teams. So yeah, I guess I'm the eighties wrestler moves just like it just as effective, but you have to throw in more flair. I mean, it's a game. You gotta have fun with it. Exactly. That's why I bring the AC two. The rest of my <laughs> technique is so boring that I have to, I have to get something going with the oh, occasional through armor crit. That poor, that poor blackjack in the back. He's like two map sheets away. He's like, 
reticule on target, pull trigger, reticule on target, pull trigger. <laughs> it's true. The only thing that hurts at the end of the day is his trigger finger. <laughs> he just duct taped it. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, so uh, I think that pretty much wraps up our tactics talk for today, at least. I mean, that's right. So if you find yourself losing, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Is this just like something you thought of? Karinskios, they're fantastic. At the that was the the commercial. No, it was the commercial from the commercial? from the the Discord. Oh, okay. But um, so we wanted to talk another clan list, but this time we want to talk one that is available to all the players. And that is the clan box set star <laughs> review, essentially. So denim, if you want to lead off on this one, cause you wrote it up. All right. Sure. So the, the first thing we see is that, you know, it's got, um, it's five max as a star is. And since it's in the box set, it's, it's a nice, uh, um, rounded, Thank you. Nice rounded list. It's got one assault mech. It's got one heavy. It's got two mediums and a light. Um, so we got the executioner. The timber uh, executioner is for you intersphere people. The gargoyle. Nope. No, I always get that wrong. No, the gargoyle is man of war. The, uh, man of war. The man of war. That's right. God, what do they call the executioner? I don't. I don't know what they call it. It's Draconis. I, this is the one that I don't know. I know the gladiator. 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 Yep. Oh, yeah. Gladiator. Love. So you got the executioner, uh, the timber wolf, the nova, the mongrel, and the adder. And it comes with two points of elementals. So I threw those in there as well. Use them. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you you should definitely get used to using your uh, your armored infantry yeah. when playing clans. They're Omnimex. Bring your elementals, yep. boys. It's clan time um, now. Now, the, the first thing I noticed is that when you're playing with this is if you're looking for a balanced engagement against your inner sphere um, opponents, the battle value for this is 17,604. So that is 12 marauders worth of battle value. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a whole company of marauders against just these five mechs and, and two points of elementals. I mean that makes that makes kind of sense. That's two level yeah. twos against one star. I mean, one yeah, <laughs> against one star. I yeah. if I'm playing a clan versus clan game, like the BV limit's pegged at fifteen thousand. This is pretty standard. Um, it is difficult to get a star in at yeah seven thousand five hundred. And yeah, once you got to bring battle armor and a bunch of light mechs to get in at five thousand. The the size of the games that I like to play, I normally play with with a reduced star. So I play with like three mechs, yeah, and and some you know a couple points of elementals. Yeah, um, the mixed stars is, is is great. What you're saying, the the three mechs and the two two points of elementals is is nice. But yeah, that being said, Dustin, I would love to take this star up against a company of marauders. Oh. So anytime, anytime you wanted, you've got a long afternoon to do this. I am down. I don't have the nostalgia factor because I got into battle tech with, you know, uh, mech warrior two, which was the clan one or whatever, not the mercenaries or whatever. Uh, so anyways, the point being, I have like two marauders in my collection. So Gotcha. It's gonna have to uh, I will. I will lend you the rest. Him? Okay. <laughs> anyway, so back to this to, to this star. Yeah. Uh, it it is a well rounded star. Um, I would put 
the elementals on the Nova and the mongrel, because those are the, even though the adder is faster than the Nova, the Nova has jump jets and, and the adder is more sniper. Like it's going yeah. to be back with its, with its targeting computer and ERPPCs, And it's never going to be in the mix. The Nova and the mongrel are really going to be in the mix, bouncing around the Timberwolf is what I would use as the anchor. And then the executioner um, w- would just be either long range fire support or, or, you know, just filling the hole because he's got that, uh, the mask. So he can, he can actually move fast, but I wouldn't use him as the elemental carrier because I don't want him moving fast into combat. I want him moving, you know, from one key position to another key position or keeping, you know, keeping his distance. Yeah. Uh, the only change I would make is I would make the Timberwolf the A variant just because I like that one better. <laughs> you, um, and this, you and this A variant. This A, well, it's got the two ERPPCs. It's got three medium pulse lasers and an SRM6 streak. And it, so it can stand back and, and just do, you know, headshot after headshot. You know, there's not much that can withstand several ERPPCs, especially with the adder backing it up. Uh-huh. But if anything gets close the medium pulses and the SRM six, it just, it just does devastating I mean, it's, damage. It's going to take your battle value to insanity range because the the clan ER PPC is expensive. Oh, the the Timberwolf A is more battle value than that Executioner, which is twenty tons bigger mm-hmm. than it. Yeah, but uh, the Mongrel is one of the best medium clan mechs as far as mobility and firepower. You know, you put some elementals on there, it goes seven eleven seven. Ooh, um nice uh, i have yet to put one on the table it's, so it's it's an amazing mech it is so fast and it's you know decently armored it will get into a place it will get out of a place it will it will get behind anybody and it has the firepower to do all the damage so it's a good lance it's a very expensive lance um star. but uh but that's thank you thank you <laughs> it's a good star it's a well balanced star um, and, and that's how I'd run it. I'd, I'd use the, the adder, uh, and the executioner for, for fire support. I'd have, uh, the, the timber wolf is, is the, the center, you know, the tip of the spear. And I would have the, uh, Nova and the mongrel each laden with elementals, um, just in there causing problems. Elementals of course would, would go after their fire support backs. Yep. Yep. That's uh, what I would do. So, I mean, I mostly agree with pretty much everything you just said. So I'll take a different, um, <laughs> a different angle everything, on this. Kind of. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, I, I like where you'd put the elementals. The timber wolf is the skirmisher. The executioner is, you know, fire support that can get unstuck and the adder is your sniper. Um, so yeah, I don't have anything else to say on that. However, this list out of the box makes my eyes bleed in battle value. So I would change the adder prime to the A you still have fire support, but it's just cheaper fire support. Yeah, but um, I miss that. Tar- does do all of them have the targeting computer, or is it just the prime? I, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't think the targeting computer is. Um, does it have a targeting pod. computer? The, yeah. the prime oh, yeah, version yeah, does. Two ERPPTs, a flamer, and a, and a targeting computer. I wouldn't. The flamer think the other is, ones would have it then. Yeah, the flamer's fixed. Um, I don't think the other ones. I don't yeah. think the targeting computer is fixed. It's, it's just checked. It's not. 
the flamer is the only thing that's fixed. Right. Yeah. So I would, I would switch the prime out for an A. Um, the executioner, you're going to save a lot of value value if you just take the gargoyle as an assault mech. And I'm a clan wolf, you know, beta galaxy player. So gargoyles everywhere. Um, Timberwolf prime is a great mech. It's cheaper than the A. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is, it is the prime is not bad at all. Yeah. Uh, I and, love it. Just not uh, as much as the A. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be my quick, my quick exchange. Take out the executioner, put in the, the gargoyle and switch the adder for an A and you probably get that down closer to like 16 or 1500 points. Um, yeah. I can't see you getting it down to 1500. I mean, you'd have to drop, uh, you'd have to drop six, 1600. I mean, you'd have to drop a thousand six hundred. Probably only to, to get it down to fifteen thousand. Yeah. And you said fifteen hundred. You meant fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand. Yes, is definitely what I meant. Yeah, that's that's my yeah our standard clan versus clan game. Uh, I I don't like the I maybe I haven't played enough of them, but the clan star versus intersphere company game never seems. I shouldn't say never seems hasn't been super fun. Would, um, would you like me to bring up the one year ago, me and you playing <laughs> this exact same? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was yeah, exactly one star. It was, yeah. Versus a company and 1500 or 15,000 battle value. Josh? I mean, my thoughts on this are it's just slightly weird for me to see like the sniper light mech and the sniper assault mech. And the kind of jack of all trades in the middleweight classes. Okay. Like, do you like your jacks of all trades to be the heavier guys? I, I think it's more of a problem with the design of the, like the adder in itself. Like all of the clan invasion era variants are sniper. Like, like that is, it is a sniper mech and that it is is always slow. Even, even for a clan, I mean, especially for a clan mech, especially for a clan mech light. No, it's six nine. It's six, six nine, six, nine. Six, but okay. but that's slow. Like that's a slow. clan, the mongrel, which is medium, is seven eleven seven. Mm-hmm. The adder is just six nine. Which we remember when we were talking about lights earlier is yeah. super borderline. It's super borderline, and that was inner sphere clan. It should never be that slow. Yeah, I mean, so, I agree. It's hard. I mean, I just played a game a couple of weeks ago, and I brought the adder A, um, and it was the first thing on the table to die because it's hard to get your your opponent's going to look at that light mech and be like, Oh, you've got a two to hit. And in the adder has some armor, but it's still a 35 tonner. So it doesn't have a ton. Yeah. Of armor. But that's, that's its job is it snipes and it's a distraction. Yeah. So they're either going to go after it and try and kill it, or you're going to get lucky and do some damage before they finally, you know, take it uh, out. Now your opponent hitting three inner sphere PPCs on tens, that doesn't help. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> that happened. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, overall, for a box set, I think it's probably got the most visually identifiable mechs besides the mongrel. I think the mongrel's like the weird oddball. I agree. <laughs> I think everyone was a little confused at why it was added. I, I was too, because it, everything else is part of the OG 16, right? Yeah, because if they, if they had done that, then it would have been too many... Too many heavies, because like the other ones it would have put in would, would have been like the like the Mad Dog, um, the forty five tons you or could, the Summoner, the Ice Ferret could would fit. Oh yeah, right yeah, there. the Ice Ferret. I didn't even think about that. I just nobody I just, does. It's such a good yeah. mech. 
No, it's not bad. No, it's yeah. not. Stop. Is it, is it not? I can't remember because I guess it's forgettable to me. It's got a PPC and SRM4 and maybe machine gun or something. The Prime oh, does. The Mongrel's so much better. And you got the Ice Ferret D with its four medium pulse lasers. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Anyways. <laughs> anyway. Clan Wolf, Beta Galaxy, Ice Ferrets, Gargoyles. <laughs> But yeah, so it, it's just kind of weird. Like, I, I love it, it, but it's just a weird choice. But it is yeah, kind of, it is probably the, what I would consider the most all rounder in the entire star. So, yeah, it's it's definitely way more expensive than I would have designed myself. But, you know, they, they got good mechs and you're going to have a lot of fun playing it. Did you, did you put the Inner Sphere designation in for the Nova? Isn't that the Black Hawk? The Black Hawk is the Inner Sphere designation, I thought. Correct. Oh. Mm. Okay. Clan Omnimech Nova Interstellar designation Blackhawk. Oh, no kidding! I had it back. I figured because it was the animal name because you know they like animal names. We we covered this last episode. <laughs> we know. literally covered this last episode. <laughs> I'm leaving that one in just for everyone to know. <laughs> That's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean it's a great star. Like I said, it's a weird. My that my thought is. It leans very heavily into like clan sniping, and I, from a design point of view, I think it's odd that they would go that route rather than give a box set that kind of forces closer in meeting engagement with an inner sphere box set. Well, I'm I'm happy because of that that they put in the elementals. I'm so happy they put in the two points in every box. Yeah, and and, and I rules. think that that people need to play them, and then I think. I think that counters the the fact that the light mech is a is a sniper because you really get you know mix it up with the elementals, mm-hmm. and if you learn how to play them, you know they're they're a lot of fun. Yeah, and they're of course you don't have any like perfect elemental delivery system in this box. Like nothing's no dasher that runs yeah, 20. no nothing is so insanely fast that it's yeah. untouchable by intersphere standards. That uh, mongrel Grindel is a close second for. Oh yeah, yeah with its, well, yeah. if I remember, it's a jump seven. seven. Yeah. yeah. As, aside from the Timberwolf A, yeah, in this star, the mongrel is my is my. He, he's the. Uh, what does that thing have? <sighs> er large and er mediums. Uh, yep, one er large, three R er mediums, one er small, and a streak SRM six. Oh, okay. So it's it's very jack of all trades. And yeah, the rest on the table and the rest of the configurations are roughly the same. Like nothing goes fully to one design. Yeah, but yeah, he's the he's he's my favorite out of all of them. Um, if we're going with Timberwolf Prime, then I'd say Mongrel is my favorite. There he, he's the workhorse. He's the one that that's doing everything that I needed to be done. There it is, folks. The Mad Cat is not the best, <laughs> unless it's the A variant. <laughs> I specified. Uh, you and the A variant. The the battle value for the top four of them are really close. Like the Executioner, Timberwolf, Nova, and Mongrel. Uh, I mean, the, the battle value is only off by, by a couple hundred between the four of them. Yeah, it's honestly scary. <laughs> like, yeah, the Adder is the only one that, that's like under 3,000. So much battle value. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, um, I, like I said, I still think it's a great star. I think it's one that I they would have been hard pressed to find a better 
clan all-rounder, I guess is the way I would try to say it. One with good amounts of variants that aren't just can be crazy skewed one direction or the other. The adder is probably the closest one to the all sniper mech, but and, and like remember, they've all got like five or six different variants, so you've got a lot of of wiggle room to play around with with uh, different things while using the same chassis. So you know, don't be afraid to to get in there and say, "Well, I want to try it with this configuration," and then it's going to feel like a totally different star. Yeah. Anybody got uh, anything else? We're at the two-hour mark, so it's normally when I like wrapping it up. All right, I'm oh, good. I'm ready to wrap it up. All right, I gotta take a shower. <laughs> dirty, dirty. Mm-hmm. We all are. Been talking about BattleTech for two hours. Of course, we're dirty. <laughs> um, thing, but uh, denim, Dustin, thanks for coming on. And Josh, it's been fantastic. Like always, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yep. Thanks for thanks for coming. All you listeners have a good night and catch us for our next episode where we talk about the mechs you love to hate. <laughs>